I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. I'm here to have conversations. Real, honest, authentic conversations. The kind we aren't supposed to have anymore. I interview anyone I find interesting, from left to right to everywhere in between. I work independently in order to have the freedom to say what I believe and speak to whoever I want. Staying independent has allowed me to speak freely and to tell the truth, no matter how unpopular, for many years now, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. We have seen over the last few years how deeply compromised big media is and how willing mainstream journalists are to twist facts and hide the truth to sell a narrative. I opted out of mainstream media and a traditional career path for a reason. I want to come to my own conclusions and not be compromised by financial, political, or corporate limitations. I refuse to trade my integrity or my free speech for a paycheck. But that means I need your help. I rely on donors and patrons, so individuals, to support my work so that I can continue to do what I do. Some of you may have noticed that I'm no longer posting full video versions of these interviews on YouTube. This is because YouTube dings my channel, gives me warnings, demonetizes me, and has shadow banned me for talking about things like gender identity ideology, COVID mandates, Justin Trudeau's policies, essentially for sharing any views deemed unspeakable by social media giants like YouTube and Meta. I decided to stop providing YouTube with all of my content when the result is punishment and erasure. So if you support the kinds of conversations we're having at The Same Drugs, wish to support my work and access full video interviews A great way to do that is by becoming a subscriber on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy or on Substack where subscribers can be sure not to miss a single episode, can access subscriber only content and engage with the comment section and can keep up with my writing as well. Just head over to meganmurphy.ca to subscribe. You can, of course, follow the podcast on Spotify and support this podcast directly there by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. And finally, don't drink the Kool-Aid. You may have seen me in a very stylish shirt with that very timeless message online, and you can get your very own at our Same Drugs store on Teespring. That's the same drugs.creator-spring.com. Thank you so much for supporting conversations outside the algorithm. Today on the show, I am speaking with comedy writer and author of his new memoir, Tough Crowd, Graham Linehan. Graham, thank you so much for joining me on The Same Drugs. It's so great to see you again. How are you doing? Well, that's a that's that's a, that's a difficult question. Let's not start with that. Um, <laughs> I didn't I didn't even mean that in a casual way. It sounds like a casual way to start a conversation, but I realized that well, in your circumstances, how are you? Might be a more complicated it, question. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Um, 
Yeah, it's a very it's a very complicated question, depending on how much people are, how much people want to want to actually hear me answer the question truthfully. You know, you've been going through a hard time, to say the least, um, for yeah. probably over a few years now. When did this all begin? Would you say? Um, 2018, 2017 or 2018 when I had cancer, you know, and it happened, uh, it happened while I was, I, I kind of, uh, there was a piece by Heather Brunskill Evans. I only know this because I found it out after writing the book and I tweeted it uh, and I said, look, this is what I think about trans issues because, because there were things floating about, you know, all the witch finders were noticing the likes and and all that sort of stuff they were reporting to their uh, to their to the other members of the mob you know um and uh, and i thought okay i thought for the first of many times oh i just have to explain what's going on you know children are being mutilated and sterilized women are being uh, harassed for talking about it um you know and talking about their own rights and 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 sports are, women's sports are being destroyed uh, and Heather Brunskill Evans' piece uh, covered a, a lot of this. And I just thought, as I always thought, and I thought, as I say, a billion times since, oh, this will show people that it's not bigotry or it's not like uh, hatred of uh, marginalized people. This will show people that actually you need to stand up for the women in your lives, you know, by opposing this stuff. And nothing ever worked. Nothing ever worked. So the Heather Brunskill Evans piece, all that did was ignited a kind of a burner under my uh, reputation. You know, it, it just the, the it just as soon as I came out as a turf, there were thousands of people just just attacking me, um, or turf ally, I should say, um, and. Um, and it just continued. And I thought, oh, well, I'll share this story about this young detransitioner who regrets what she's been through. That will show people that this is something you should be talking about and taking seriously. And that, and, and that didn't work either. You know, activists would, would find um, phrases uh, or the way I'd express certain things and screen grab it and share it and give their own, you know, always the very, as you know, the way they work, the very worst interpretation of everything you've said. Uh, you know, in fact, they even used a joke I did to my wife where I said, don't call me a misogynist, you bitch, something, something throwaway like that, you know? Yeah. And they screen grabbed that and used that as an example, you know, that I was a misogynist. So, you know, what was shocking was I went from being um you know quite quite well liked <laughs> because of father ted and and the it crowd and black books and all the sitcoms i've worked on that i thought were fondly enough remembered that people would actually look into what i was saying and 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 join with me and and kind of uh make the case that we should be at least allowed to talk about this stuff but all i got was dead silence from everybody. Everybody would be nodding as I told them. You know, I'd be, I'd be telling Arthur, my old writing partner, or Neil Hannon, or 
Chris Morris or Armando Iannucci or no, actually no, I never spoke to Armando Iannucci about this. Sorry, these are all Ameri these are all British co uh, comedy personalities, so you won't know them. But you're telling them, and they're going, hmm, yes, hmm, hmm. But when it comes to the crunch, they're dead silent. And in fact, when when they had the opportunity to stand behind me, um, my colleagues Arthur Matthews, Neil Hannum, uh, Jimmy Mulville on the uh, TED musical all decided to throw me under the bus, you know, just kind of, um, you know, I, I was really, I was absolutely at the end of, of, of waiting for them to speak up and say, Hey, you know, this is obviously all true. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's obviously all true. Men are, cannot turn into women. Men should not be allowed to go into women's spaces. Children are not born in the wrong body. Children do not need to be medicalized out of any mental condition they have. Yeah. And nothing took for these people. They just they just nodded, nodded, and then when it came to it, no help at all, you know? I wonder if you think, I mean, it's such a disappointment, a disappointing thing to learn about people. Um, you know, I had similar experiences in Vancouver, although I think in terms of what you were saying at the at the beginning, which is that, you know, you just thought, if I just explain this, then people will understand. And I'd felt that way about before I I started speaking about out about the issue of trans activism and gender identity ideology before that really came up in, in the culture. I had been doing so much work around prostitution and getting brutally attacked over that. And I kept thinking, if I just explain my position, then they'll understand and they'll stop attacking me in these, these ways, in these ways that are lacking, completely lacking in intellectual integrity to start yeah. and never mind the, the unnecessary vitriol. Um, so I think I already was, was sort of used to the not understanding, but the lack of people standing with you, you know, the people bailing on you and abandoning you, in many cases, people you've known for a long time, sometimes just acquaintances. Um, I, I mean, but for me, it wasn't everybody. It was some people and that was bad enough, but there were some people also who did stand with me. For you, do you think that the that kind of total abandonment had to do with the industry that you're in? You know, is there something about um, TV yeah. or the arts or something? Yeah, it's it's. I, I had one uh, early on. Uh, a computer game designer wrote to me, someone who was involved in a in quite a quite a big game uh, that I that I enjoyed, and they said. Uh, and, and this is, I think, true of people who work in entertainment in one way or another. And he said, I've got a whole studio. All these, all these people's lives depend on me. I can't say anything publicly um, uh, because, you know, I have to think of them. Mm. Um, and the reason that it's, it's so bad for the maker of this game is because, you know, these games live or die by online reviews. So trans rights activists can do their usual thing of uh, swarming and uh, creating a, a false impression around the thing. And, and you know, that's kind of, um, that's what people saw 
Well, I don't know. It's a very weird thing. But basically, that's what happened to me. I, I, I was just swarmed. Um, and uh, as you say, there was no integrity to the any of the accusations. Uh, there was nothing behind them. And I thought, because these people were my friends and also my colleagues, that they would look into it and they would they would uh, and they would say, "Oh, well, hang on a sec, this is bullshit. This is all bullshit." Um, like, for instance, uh, a funny I put this in the book, but uh, a funny thing that happened with Neil Hannon was Neil Hannon said some of the things you've done. He said to me on the phone, "Some of the things you've done have been questionable," and I said, "Give me an example." Give me a single example. And there was a pause. And he said, well, outright, maybe not. So, so you have people who you've known for your whole life, right? I've, I, I reviewed Neil Hannon's first album um, for Select Magazine. It was one of the big first big reviews he got in the UK. And we've been friends ever since. And you have someone who, who knows you that well, who's that close a friend, and they can't even look up what it's all about. They can't even find out what I've been accused of so they can pretend that I've done something wrong too. They, they didn't even have enough interest to do that. And it is, I, I think of what, I feel like I'm kind of a, a normal person in terms of how I think about friendship, you know? And I think of what would have happened if it had been the other way around and someone I knew was being hurt and losing their livelihood and losing every everything. Um, and they would just kind of not look into it, you know, and never, never have an opinion on it, you know, and pretend that my view, which is, and I won't go through the full list, but, you know, children shouldn't be mutilated because they've walked, as one writer put it, they walked down the wrong toy aisle, you know, it's it's a it's an absolutely disgusting scandal, and no one cared enough about either the the own women their own the women they have in their own lives or me to actually speak up to say, hang on a sec, this is insane, you know. So it it is galling and it is bizarre and I still feel like I'm sleepwalking through all this because I just I, I I took a bet on people. I thought no 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 people are good people will 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 see these young detransitioners with their with no breasts you know who's who who ruined their health uh, with with testosterone and they'll see and they will say no this is something that we really urgently needs to be talked about and Graham. You know, uh, looking into it, Graham appears to not be just, uh, you know, a bigot. But they couldn't do it. None of them could do even that tiny, tiny thing. You know, and and as a result, and the thing is, it would have only taken a few people. If Arthur had said something, if Neil Hannon had said something, uh, it, it would have. It would. You know, there would be a much wider debate going on right now. But because the people who speak out, like myself and Rowling and whoever else, because we're always isolated, we're allowed to be just kicked to death in full view of everyone. You know? Sorry, Megan. No, don't apologize. I, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say, you know, people aren't good, but I think that it is a real self 
interest. You know, like it's a funny thing. I've spent years, as you probably have as well, trying to figure out the why. You know, why don't people stand up when they see something wrong is happening? Um, why don't they tell the truth when they know the truth? You know, I don't think that most people who are or have been supportive of trans activism or these narratives around trans women or women necessarily all literally believe that men who identify as trans women are literally female. But they say it anyway, despite the fact that they see that these words have negative consequences, um, you know, whether or not early on they realized the, the consequences, for example, for women in prison and uh, women in girls' change rooms and for kids. Now, you know, they, they at least at the time I know saw what was happening to women in the culture and in their personal lives and what's happened to somebody like you in your, in your life. Um, they've seen the behavior of trans activists, which is so violent and so hateful and so misogynist. And still they, they take the side of these people and don't stand up for the people who are under attack for saying things that are usually pretty reasonable. Um, What's and unreasonable? I, I always say to them, "What? Tell me one unreasonable thing we're saying." You know, sorry, Megan. No, that's yeah, exactly. I mean, why is it unreasonable to say that trans women are men? But you know, people—it's—it's—it's it's sort of similar to what when I wonder, you know, how do people get involved with cults? And so many people get involved in cults, and you look at them, and you watch these documentaries, and you're like, or you see, you know, I've had friends who've gotten involved in in what I think is or it's fair to label these these organizations or these groups cults and and I see it and they don't see it and you're like what is like what is happening here there must be some sort of like human trait what do you think that is I think it, I think it happens whatever it is I think it happens in workplaces hmm. um and schools and places where people are gathered together. I think perhaps one of the reasons why you and I have been immunized against this is because we're our own boss, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure whether that was always true for you, Megan, but it was. it's always been true for me. I've always been a freelancer, you know? And so when people were starting to say silly things, you know, I, I, I wasn't one of the boiling frogs, but a lot of people in offices were, you know? And, and, you know, you have your job hanging over you. You have your social circles um, uh, watching you. Uh, everyone has a mobile phone, so everyone is an informer. You know that funny thing? I was thinking the other day in Mafia movies, he's wearing a wire, you know, and now everyone's just got a phone on them that they can turn on at any time and record a conversation, you know? So it's like we're, we're now living in, in a, a, an episode of, of The Wire, but we've all got these microphones all around us, you know? And so everybody just gets very self-conscious and very scared and doesn't want to say the wrong thing. And, and, and they're right too, because, you know, Rachel Mead, I don't know if you've been following that story over here, but there was a social worker, uh, Rachel Mead, and she was reported um, for putting things on a Facebook post and uh, lost her job, and she just won. Um, she just won uh, her case, and so the Maya Forstadter ruling kind of put it down. You can't, you can't uh, uh, discriminate against uh, women for these opinions. These perfectly normal opinions that 86 percent of people have. Um, 
you can't uh, do that. But the Rachel Mead case now has said you really, really can't do that. And I believe that uh, aggravated the ruling. Some people have, 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 are thinking that it might mean aggravated damages, uh, which I, I believe is a very good thing. So it's going to start hitting them in the pocket, you know. Um, and um, anyway, sorry, I forget why I got onto this. Why did? Uh, uh, well, why do people people oh, yes. go along? Why do people fall into these? Yeah, kind of cult like or you know, just nonsensical. You know, it's like it's groupthink. Absolutely, and it's uh, it's also I think what we're living in a, a world that's very anal analogous to is that the way you say it? Um, uh, to the the world just at the Europe certainly just after the invention of the printing press. Mm -hmm. You know, where basically uh, every everyone who read the Bible, which was everyone who could read, um, wrote their own uh, kind of um, conspiracy theories about uh, what certain dates meant and so on. And so they created all these cults, like Protestantism was, was just one of many, the one that stuck. But, uh, but a lot of the others were kind of crazy and involved, you know, massacres and suicides and all this sort of thing, you know, and, and lots of predictions of the end of the world. Uh, so it was a kind of a time of unreason, even though you, you, the printing press is a net good for, for humanity. But it went through this we went through this period of absolute madness. And I think that's exactly what's happened after the Internet, with the appearance of the Internet. You know, like, for instance, I don't think the trans movement would have happened without pornography. You know, right. it wouldn't it wouldn't have taken hold to yeah. uh, in the way that it has, you know, yeah. or, and it may not even have come up in the way that it has, you know, um, yeah. So, you know, like we've never had a conversation. We, there's never been, I've never seen, for instance, at a presidential uh, debate, people saying, what are we going to do about the fact that every 10-year-old can see women being raped, you know? Yeah, it drives me crazy. And, and I tweeted something to that effect recently, which was to say, you know, like, how can you be so vehemently opposed to gender identity ideology and also not be critical of or opposed to pornography. They're so interconnected. And as you say, and I think maybe people don't know about the origins of transgenderism still in the ways that we do, because we've been studying this for so long, but it's, it's that conversation has begun to come up and these, these people I think can understand you know, for for men, for most, in, in my opinion, and probably in your opinion, for most adult men, this is about a fetish. It's about autogonophilia, and that's fueled by pornography. Um, and we can see that transgenderism, the way that transgenderism has affected kids, has so much come from the internet and from from porn culture. And it's totally baffling to me that... The, these people who think of themselves as very critical thinkers, as you know, the the, the heterodox thinkers, um, challenging dominant ideology, questioning you know the corporate narrative, and you look at the porn industry, and this is one of the biggest, most profitable industries in the entire world. It's 
you know, one of the most, if not the most exploitative, you know, because it's obviously connected to trafficking and to prostitution, um, violent, so on and so forth. And then all they can say is free speech. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I don't hear much speech in in, in, in this stuff. You no, know? It's, I mean my offense isn't necessary. I mean I don't like the speech in pornography, but that's not my main criticism. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it's um, I don't know. It, it's one of those things. And I again, like pre 2018, 2017, uh, you know, when I got back on Twitter after being banned for for two years, the first thing I said was I reserve the right to not agree with anything I said before 2018. You know, <laughs> because because gender ideology uh, has has de- just destroyed most of the pillars that held up my political viewpoint before then, and I and I now question absolutely everything I thoughtlessly uh, uh, accepted and relayed. You know, like a, a node in a in a, in in some sort of system of misinformation. You know, so it was yeah. true, so it was not true. But I'll tell you what it all was. It was all based on my emotions, you know, and it was all based on a uh, form of political discourse that I didn't realize was coming in from America. You know, it was it was really snide and uh, dismissive and. Uh, had had a kind of sneering uh, left-wing superiority, as if there was no question that the left didn't have everything right and that anyone on the other side was contemptible, you know? And, of course, we saw how this then went into, like, early examples of of attacking uh, their own, the attacks on Hillary Clinton from the left, you know, which further hobbled an already very weak campaign but brought, like, four years of Trump. You know, um, uh, so so these things were in ascendance, these kinds of ways of thinking about about the world, you know, good and evil uh, on a left right uh, uh, axis, you know. Uh, and I, I, I added to that because I was I was because I was in my own bubble. I was reading The Guardian, which turns out to be absolute trash. Yeah. You know, The Independent, which you know, is very dodgy, as a very dodgy editor, publisher, uh, 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 Lebedev, I think his name is. Um, and all these kinds of um, uh, approved media in the UK, you know, I'm sure I'm sure it's the same over there that like, you know, someone who reads The Guardian would not read The Daily Mail and vice versa. You know, it's very, it's very polarized. Yeah. You know? I mean, in Canada, we don't really, we do, we do a little bit now, but, you know, back before I started questioning laugh, the left and, and mainstream media in general, we didn't really have much of a right wing media. You know, it's not like in the US where there's like a Fox News and a CNN. There was the CBC, which I grew up listening to, which is our public broadcaster. And then there was a series of other sort of middle of the road or progressive-ish publications. And even, you know, like publications that are considered to be conservative are not anywhere near the sort of right-wing media in the U.S. So, you know, it was like I, I was so left that I thought, you know, a lot of the left and liberals were not left enough. I mean, I'm always amused at what... Americans 
are talking about when they're talking about the left wing, because to me, that's what I would have called liberals in the past. I mean, it doesn't really matter to me anymore. These labels don't matter so much. But I didn't even think about the right because I was just never exposed to right wing people yeah. or ideas for most of my life. And also, so. and also I I realized later on that like a lot of the people who uh who were being who who had a what I would call a stink around them, you know, there's certain people who have a stink around them. And it and it's based on nothing. It's based on nothing. Okay, a few examples. Joe Rogan, right? Joe Rogan said a bunch of stuff uh, during COVID, and they went for him. But I think the real reason they went for him is because he interviewed Abigail Schreier. I don't think they could give a fuck about COVID. I think they they didn't like that he was interviewing Abigail Schreier and yourself and other yeah. other feminists. You know, so taking him down was seemed to me to be uh, related to that. And as you, we both know, sorry, Megan, I know you, but I'll just say one, one very, I'll just wrap this up very quickly. But Jordan Peterson, his original sin uh, was the argument with the with the kids on the um, outside the university, where he said that he wouldn't uh, observe preferred pronouns or he wouldn't mm -hmm. be forced to use preferred pronouns. So again, they a stink builds up around people and it's based on nothing. They're not, they're not right wing. Roman's not right wing, neither is Peterson, you know? No, yeah, Rogan's not right wing at all. I mean, I think I think you're right that it is so much to do with the people that he talks to, and there are people that you're not supposed to talk to who say yeah. things that you're not supposed to say, and so then they will go after him for anything they can imagine going exactly. after, like true or not, or bad or good or whatever. He's just an enemy of the state, you know. Like, all right, so I call it enemy of the regime. You know, yeah. the new, it's, there's an online regime and basically they decide who gets counseled and who doesn't get counseled. And they decided years ago that uh, Peterson w w was was counseled. So, you know, ever since then, like you notice with things like I saw one woman on a TV show, uh, you know, sneering at Peterson because she said, you, you know, your book of telling people how that they should make their beds, you know. Mm -hmm. And and was this and basically that was the line that everyone was repeating in all these reviews and all these kind of takedowns, you know. He tells he tells boys to make their beds. Well, I could have figured that out, you know. <laughs> it's just fucking hell. And and then you read the book, and it's and it's actually a, a very responsible, very beautiful, compassionate um, uh, uh, insight into into uh, what what makes life worth living and what makes a good life you know um like i'll tell you another funny thing that happened with peterson in the guardian i think it was a guardian interview and uh, they deserve it even if it wasn't so i'm gonna say it's guardian <laughs> but uh but like peterson was what brought them to his house right and um and he has lots of communist posters on the wall you know yeah like like old you know those beautiful color you know they do look great some of those posters you know and uh, the the interviewer who's who's obviously got uh, is obviously anti anti Peterson, you know, says, um, "Hmm, I notice there's lots of communist posters on the wall. Why aren't there any Nazi posters on the wall? I thought you were even-handed in your feelings about dictatorships." I was like, "Do you, are you really do you really want them to have Nazi posters on the wall? <laughs> do you know what I mean? They don't hear themselves." That's and, your gotcha. That's their gotcha. Like, why don't you have Nazi posters up here? You know, 
And and the thing is, they then relay this, and everyone reads it and goes, oh, yeah, why do they have, why does he? They don't even know what they're fucking agreeing with. And it's just all based on, on trying to find every single chink in the armor, and we all have them because we're all human, that you can poke a dagger through, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I thought, and and one of the interesting things that I found in your book, which actually I want to show those watching. So Graham has has written a brilliant book, uh, Tough Crowd. Is it available in the U.S. right now, or just the U.K.? Yeah, U.S. and Australia. Also. Okay, yeah. awesome. Um, and you talked about your regrets, like Milo Yiannopoulos warned you you know when he was getting canceled and brutally attacked online he said to you you know don't think that they won't come for you too and you're like oh that's ridiculous i'm one of the good ones they'll never come for me yeah yeah and and you know i i again i had been absorbing um uh you know just these attitudes from uh, other American commentators online and never quite questioning them, never trying to, you know, root them. Like, basically, for instance, like, we, you know, I saw there was a very interesting thing. Who was this guy this happened to? It was some online bloke. Uh, yeah, I think it was, um, yeah, it was the needle drop. You know the needle drop? Anthony Fontana or Fontana? No. Fontano, I think it is. Well, he's like they, he's he's known as the the internet's busiest music nerd. That's how he, he what he calls himself. And I saw a video about him, and, and and essentially when he started off, he would he would have his music review show, but he would also have a very kind of edgy uh, comedy uh, show, you know. And it was um, it was it was the type, and I, this is what I just thought this this blew my mind when I saw it. So I remember at the time hearing that Anthony Fontana was part of Gamergate. And I immediately got up on my high horse, you know, and was like, Wah. and I, di- I didn't know where, where may, may, maybe I saw a screen grab taken out of context, as, ha- as happened to me uh, uh, several times uh, after that. Um, but anyway, I made my decision about, about him. And then I saw this documentary the other day. And one of the things they did to him, right, was that they I they they have a screen grab of, of of him and there's a black guy behind them with a rope around his neck, okay? And this is presented as evidence of of uh, of his uh, racism or or alt rightism or whatever it happens to be. But it turns out it was part of a long thing that was capturing, a, I think, a trend on TikTok or Vine or whatever was the equivalent of the time. Uh, or Reddit or something, where people, kids were putting toilet paper around their neck and pretending to, to hang themselves, you know? It was really funny. You just see loads of different pictures of all these kids, different different sizes and ages, and, and, and they have the, ro- the toilet paper around their neck and they're just about to jump off. It's quite a funny, sweet, if slightly dark joke, you know? But this guy in the picture was just one of them, right? Okay. But they they froze the image, and they have him with a with a black guy with what looks like a rope around his neck, and they don't explain. They don't explain what it was. They don't give you any context beyond that. And 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 so basically, I mean, I don't know what he did to piss people off, 
but they just decided, well, let's get him. Let's get him, you know. And yeah. and, and, Av, and and the documentary says that he actually eventually gave up the comedy stuff. It, it was just too, he just he was making you know he was doing well as the music nerd thing anyway. But he gave up the comedy stuff, and who can blame him if that's how they're interpreting? You know what I mean? A, yeah. a, 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 an innocent moment. I'm a writer and a podcaster, which means I can't sleepwalk through life. My brain is my most important tool, so not only do I need to keep my energy up, but my mind needs to be sharp. I work for myself, which means I need to self-motivate and make sure I can focus in order to be as productive as I can on a daily basis. Focus is something I've always struggled with. We all know how easy it is to get distracted, especially when you're trying to do a million things at once, so I can't tell you how relieved I was to find Magic Mind. It doesn't replace my beloved wake-up coffee, but I drink it a little later in the afternoon as a pick-me-up to help me stay focused and productive throughout the day. Magic Mind has these things called nootropics, which help improve cognitive function, meaning they boost my attention span, ability to process and learn new information, and improve my notoriously bad memory. Lion's mane mushrooms help reduce anxiety, which is something I work hard to keep in check by living a balanced lifestyle, but of course still pops up from time to time when I'm feeling like I'm not staying on top of my goals. It also helps reduce inflammation, and of course the matcha in there keeps my energy levels up. If you want to give it a try as a part of your daily routine, go to magicmind.com slash Jan Same Drugs for this month only and use my discount code Same Drugs 20 to get 75% off your first subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase. This January only start your 2024 New Year's resolutions fully focused. Get one month for free when you're subscribing for three months by going to www.magicmind.com slash Jan Same Drugs code Same Drugs 20. I never really got involved with the whole Gamergate thing because I did, never really understood it. Um, but as I understand it, you got pretty involved. What was Gamergate about? Ooh. Yeah, well, the, I mean, that's one of the that's one of the things about it. Like that question in itself is heavily contested. You know, uh, the first the way I thought of it was that it was a misogynistic hate campaign because a girl was unfairly accused of sleeping with a reviewer for for um, for scores. Uh, you know, computer game review scores. She was a uh, indie game developer. He was a music journalist. You it was know. Zoe Quinn. Was that her name? Zoe Quinn. Yeah. And, and who she was had the a, guy. Do you know? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know the guy. I think he was okay. with Kokatu, the the gaming website. I could be wrong, okay. but I, uh, but I know that uh, the reason it all kicked off was because the boyfriend wrote a uh, the ex boyfriend of Quinn wrote a long kind of screed uh, uh, accusing her of all sorts of things, you know, um, which I also didn't read. So again, I, I, I wasn't going from first sources. I was going from 
things like Boston Magazine, which had, you know, like Boston fucking spotlight. You know, you, you expect a, a magazine to, to, to be an authority on this stuff. So when you see a long piece that takes you through it and says, this is what happened and this is why it happened, you kind of, you just believe it. But again, since what happened to me happened to me, I started to realize, oh, well, maybe, maybe this isn't how, maybe this isn't the full story. Like, for instance, I remember at one point there was a big joke that uh, they used to make fun of the gaming gators for saying it's about ethics in gaming journalism. And, and that became a kind of a meme on the other side, making fun of it. Like it was, again, that sneering, superior, uh, dismissive um, uh, thing um, aimed at people who, you know, some of them, some of them really were worried about ethics in gaming journalism. Some of them were just misogynists and anime avatars who, who were taking advantage of yet another opportunity to bash women, you know? Then those same people, I think a lot of them turned out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The people who are going after so-called turfs, you mean? They never changed their anime avatars. Yeah. When it mean? is so much of the the hate and the censorship and the banning from social media, which we both experienced, of course, did come from that group of people, these like progressive computer nerds, basically, you know, people who yeah. are working or people who are really involved in gaming, people who sort of know how to manipulate things like Wikipedia, people yeah. working in big tech, who probably most of whom, frankly, are porn addicted men and then they're, they're woke female allies, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, the very you know, online, the very online, and also you know certain uh, 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 you know there's as we know there's a, there's an overrepresentation of autistic people and trans identified people, mm -hmm. you know, and again there's something about the uh, uh, about the movement that it, that has a kind of autistic quality, uh, like the obsessive repeating of phrases like trans women are women, repeat mm -hmm. even say it repeat after us. You know, the, the division of, of people into good and evil. These are, you know, I, I know people who have autistic children and these are, these are autistic traits, you know. Right. And they've been kind of injected into the, um, into the discourse by, by people who work with computers a lot, you know. And it's, it's like, it's, it's got to be addressed. There, you can't just say that, a, a certain kind of mindset is not influential when they're behind the code we use for to speak to each other right now. Do you know what I mean? What's very interesting about what we're talking about right now is also that it's become very trendy for, um, you know, the people who've just discovered trans activism and gender identity ideology and have, have discovered how harmful it is are blaming feminism and feminists for this. And I think that feminism and feminists have, there's a, a lot to be criticized within all of that. And there are a lot of women who call themselves and are considered feminists who have gone along with trans activism bafflingly, bafflingly. But I mean, those were also the women that even back in like 2011, when I was trying to write critically about things like slut walk and again about prostitution and pornography and BDSM yeah. and all this and, you know, the nonsense that third wave feminism pushes, 
you know, those, these were women who I didn't even think of as necessarily feminists, but as careerists, you know, these were just women who were working their way up the ranks in the U S so they could get some kind of cushy job and clearly didn't care very much about women's rights at all, because otherwise, how can you claim to care about women's rights and go along with transgenderism? But, you know, it's, 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 so I get that angle, but we, we know where transgenderism came from, which was from these male sexologists and from these men with fetishes and these like literal misogynists working in big tech and in gaming and from things like pornography. And then still, you know, I get, I get, and lots of other women get this, well, this is all your fault because you supported feminism you know what? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that, and I've also heard, I've also heard. Where, where were you? You know, like when shouldn't yeah. you? Like, why weren't me, you fighting back? Like, you had to leave fucking Canada because you were fighting back. You know, yeah, yeah. it's absolutely outrageous that they they say all this. You well, know? and where was I? It's like I mean, I, we were just trying to put an event on. Like, it was practically po- impossible. You know, never mind the fact that then, you know, I was banned from Twitter, which actually in some ways, I mean, I I hated it and I thought it was awful and wrong and it had a negative impact on my work in lots of ways. But at the same time, it allowed me certain platforms to be able to talk about what was going on and it revealed this crazy bias on the parts of big tech where they were injecting politics and ideology into these supposedly neutral platforms, which of course are not neutral in any way at all. But you know, yeah, I mean, where were all the feminists? It's like, well, man, like you could have sent us some money so that we could hire security or you could have helped us find an event venue that wouldn't cancel on us last minute. You know, you could have, you could have, you know, published us when no one else would publish our our warnings early on. I mean, it's just, it's it's so maddening. And I know that people probably get sick of me talking about it because I do talk about it so much, but it makes you want to pull your hair out because like, well, where were we were doing everything we could, but we have no power. We have no money. We have no pull, you know, we're not yeah. connected to I, I, political power or any institutions or anything. Or I, but, I certainly wasn't but, anyway. Quite the opposite, you know. Yeah. Politicians avoid, you know, refuse. They don't respond to letters from feminists. They they refuse meetings. Um, yeah, I mean, do- I tried to meet with my political representatives many times. I tried yeah. to have phone conversations, and they they won't even respond. And these were political representatives who I knew or had met before. You know, it wasn't like they didn't know who I was. There were the people that I'd had conversations with around things like prostitution law, but then I try to bring up gender identity and there's radio silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and also, you know, we can't underestimate like the fact that uh, nearly every big social media website all uh, suddenly took on uh, um, rules about misgendering. Yeah. Um, and misgendering uh, is is a really having a pro, 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 prohibition against misgendering is a very good way of just completely uh, uh, disappearing a whole tranche of feminist thought. Right. So what what we had for like five years or so was a world where there was no radical feminist thought, you know, except when it was misreported and misrepresented and 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's it's been a shocking um, cover up, really. You know, I, I often think of this whole thing as it, 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 it's a cover up. You know, it's like they're covering everything up from what's happening to kids at the Tavistock to to what's you know to what what people like yourself want to say. It, it, it's all a big fucking cover up. It's extraordinary to be. In it. <laughs> One thing that I've never been able to figure out that I'm curious about is because the night that I was banned from Twitter, you know, permanently, although of course Elon brought me back about a little over a year ago. Um, the night that I was banned, it was November of 2018 and it was a Friday night and it was like 11 PM or something like that. So it was really weird timing and about maybe an hour tops if not even less than that after i received this email saying that i'd been permanently suspended for hateful conduct um for breaking twitter rules and then referencing these these now famous tweets around misgendering <laughs> misgendering jonathan yaniv and saying that men aren't women um the yeah. pink news published an article announcing that twitter had a new rule against dead naming and misgendering um oh, which again so is weird timing because that would have been you know 7 a.m yes. on a saturday over there and then i also recall that that this adrian harrop person yes. yeah. sort of gloating about it in a way that made me think that maybe he had something like I, it seemed like he was trying to take some partial credit for it jonathan yaniv also took took credit for it so who mm. really knows? But I was curious to know, you write a little bit about <clears throat> this Adrian Harrop person in the book, and you probably know more about him than I do because he's from the UK. What do you, mm. What's your, what he's are your thoughts a, on him? What do you know he, about him? He, he's just a sadistic online bully of women. I mean, it's that simple. It's basically there, there are certain people uh, out there who, who despise women and want to hurt them uh, as much as they can. And that's, that's Adrian Harrop. He, 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 he wants to cause distress. You know, when Caroline Farrell uh, was, um, was uh, being targeted, he took a photograph of her church just to show that he was in the area, you know? So, and, you know, and, and his, his mate, who is the same person who uh, reported me to the police, uh, a con man named Stephanie Hayden, mm -hmm. uh, who's, who, this is all, this is like the third of his names that he's had, you know, uh, third or fourth. Um, uh, he also joined in this har harassment of this woman, you know? So, you know, they, they're just people that they, they had a, they had a, uh, they had an attitude which was, you know, they would just do whatever they had to do to get back at you. If you annoyed them, they would just, and that involved, like Hayden phoned the police and sued me on the same weekend. So, you know, for my wife, it was just terrifying, you know? Um, and that was deliberate. That's what he does to everyone. He tries to frighten them, frighten people, tries to make sure the police visit, he sues them, and then after a couple of days of stress, he says, uh, uh, if you give me 500 quid, I'll go away. You know, mm -hmm. that was his that was his racket. You know, it is his racket. Um, and uh, yeah, he's still getting away with it. He's still out there. He's just he's just uh, started proceeding proceedings against another woman. You know, 
his, his, he he tra- he he's I think he's on benefits. He travels around the world, leaving fucking TripAdvisor reviews everywhere. Do you know what I mean? He's he's a con man. This is this this is so funny because this is sort of similar to Jonathan Yaniv, who now calls himself Jessica Yaniv. You know, he, he Stephanie Hayden has often been called uh, the UK's John, J- Jonathan Yaniv. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, because he, you know, he's basically, uh, you know, he's his his shtick is trying to blackmail people into giving him money or free stuff, and then he just discovered that trans activism could help him in this regard. He's also, you know, a pervert um, and a predator, but you know, the, the reason that one of the reasons that he was discovered, you know, when he, his name was under a publication ban um, and a blogger who's, um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her name right now, discovered what his real identity was, was because he has this massive, like, paper trail on social media of these Yelp reviews and things like that, where he would go to, you know, he would order a pizza and then claim that the pizza arrived and all the toppings had fallen off. And now you owe me free pizzas for life. Otherwise I'm going to sue you and on and on and on and on. And this was, you know, under his male name, Jonathan, you his male face, which was connected to all of his social media profiles, which were either his, male face and his male name or some of them would be you know his male face and then it would say two different pronouns like he and her you know there was no when i was when i was banned from twitter for misgendering jonathan yaniv and my other crimes of saying men aren't women you know it wasn't he wasn't identifying no. as a woman you know no, no, he no. sort of in some places would would put she in some places would put he and he wasn't trying in any way to look like a woman no no but but the thing is he was all he was was the tool that twitter used to get you get rid yeah. of you yeah that's what that's what it was mm-hmm. you know they did like they that's how basically twitter uh, you know i don't know are you shadow banned at the moment <laughs> Um, I don't know if I am on Twitter. I am. Meta has shadow banned me. So on Facebook right. and Instagram, definitely. And on YouTube, I'm, I am. But on Twitter, I'm not technically shadow banned. I have no idea what the algorithm is doing with me. But I know that, you know, when I go to search you on Twitter, you don't you come do. up. Yeah. I and Posey also doesn't come up. And, when Posey I search doesn't, and Posey doesn't come up. Now, there's two reasons that might be. Uh, one is that Elon Musk just doesn't give a damn about about this issue, which which uh, except to sometimes get a, a sound bite uh, about the woke mind virus or something like that. Um, because if he did care about it and he could do something about it, he would presumably be making sure that we had, uh, you know, our, our accounts were working as normal. You know, yeah. the other thing, which is what people tell me is happening. Is that the algorithm has uh, has us baked into it, like like they can't figure out why my account is uh, shadow banned. They can't figure out why Kelly Kelly J's uh, account is shadow banned. That's the story they're saying at the moment. There's thousands of lines of code, and they just you know I would say I would say do a search on the code for the name Graham Linehan. Try and find that in there and just delete. Right. I think it'll be all right then, you know, but it's, but it's like, it's like, it's still, it's so we're still being, uh, kept quiet as much. Oh yeah. 
You know what I mean? And I mean, the people you, the people whose voices are amplified on this thing are still... It's always been transgenderism, the, the debate around gender identity ideology from the beginning has been positioned intentionally by the media and by politicians and for whoever else it's convenient for as a left versus right issue. So, yeah. you know, they couldn't, you know... Some other people would be represented in the media or sometimes even interviewed about their opposition to transgenderism, although very rarely, but they could only be people considered these evil right, you know, far right bigots. Yeah, right. It couldn't like, be was, me because I was I was left wing and I was a feminist and I was a yeah. socialist. So I couldn't be included in that conversation. And now things have opened up quite a lot, but still the debate is still being positioned as left versus right and the voices that are being amplified as you know the the only people fighting this and the only people making a difference are people like Matt Walsh for example and still the people who were you know were never on the right not that I don't have a problem with right wing people there's lots of great right wing people I don't really think of things in those terms anymore but the people you know like us and and the feminists who are fighting for so long are still sidelined and marginalized because I don't know, because I think the narrative doesn't people don't like that narrative very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, it is what it is. You know, I don't think you can push it or force it. I just think you have to, I, you know, they'll, 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 I think I'll, I will say this, this, this fight, these last five years have thrown up so many stories of like real decency and, and bravery. And like, I'm thinking about people like Kira Bell and, uh, you know, and, and uh, the people at Genspect and, yeah. you know, there's, there's, and yourself, you know, and Kelly J. I mean, there's so many real stories of bravery and resistance that I think that, It'll like all the female athletes who are speaking out, which you know yeah. destroys their athletic career, Riley Gaines, um, exactly. April exactly. Hutchinson in Canada. If, if, anywhere, yeah. if Clint Eastwood was a younger man, he, he would keep him in about ten more films. You know, it's like it's like there's there's just so much like heroism to go around in this. You know, and I think that the great thing about the stories that 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 we've experienced over the last few years is that. People love a good story, you know. So, mm -hmm. so I think that it's just a matter of time before, like, like you know, Kelly J. I I look at Kelly J.'s uh, uh, activism in the same way that I think of, uh, you know, any 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 civil rights person who marched into a, 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 a group of policemen, knowing that the policemen would would be hitting them and mm -hmm. and attacking them with dogs. You know, Kelly J. went to places where the crowd was worked up into such a frenzy that, as, as we both know, one 74-year-old woman was actually punched by one of these lunatics, you know? Um, it was, uh, you know, that's it, it, just bravery that you, you don't... It's not common. It's very, very uncommon. And, um, yeah, I think that eventually all these stories will be told, you know. This is this has been such an interesting time these last few years, but these last five, six years. And uh at the moment they wouldn't dare uh approach it uh to make a TV show or a series or anything about this. But that will change, you know. Yeah, yeah of course. Um I I mean your your book isn't just despite our conversation, it isn't just about 
what's what's happened to you when you started speaking out about transgenderism. It's not just about the fight. I mean, the first no, book is, is about your life and your your yeah. career and and where you got started. And what I one of the things that I did learn is that you're sort of like an art snob. <laughs> And I thought it was funny because I felt like the way that you feel about 70s movies is kind of like how I feel about 80s movies. The 80s movies aren't highbrow, but those are sort of like the formative movies to me that I still watch over and over. And you probably would think they're stupid, but I mean, I really love like Pretty in Pink and like Ghostbusters and Meatballs and stuff like that. Oh, I loved I loved John Hughes. I loved John Hughes. Oh, Although okay. I did I did watch The Breakfast Club with my daughter, and it was I very uncomfortable. Oh, oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's a little bit the the red haired girl gets a pretty hard sexist time from the bloke, and we were. I'd have to re. It's one of those things where it's like I watched those movies so many times when I was a kid, and you know, and like Dirty Dancing and. You know, mm. what else did I watch a million times over? I mean, Back to the Future, obviously. And and the things that you don't really pick up on then when you watch mm. as an adult, you're like, oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, like, I see it through my kids' eyes. And it's like, like you know, there's a really weird bit in Ferris Bueller where the principal thinks that, that the, the girl is having – is. Is, is having sex with her father because Ferris is dressed up as her father and he kisses her and the principal goes, oh, so that's how it is. <laughs> I don't even remember that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's all these moments and, and in the Goonies, like the start in the opening of the Goonies, uh, there's a scene where, um, what's his name? Corey Hames. Is that his name? Corey something. He's showing He's showing the new Mexican housemaid around the house, you know, and he's lying to her. He's saying he's saying things like, this is where uh, my parents uh, have their sex dungeon, you know. And I was watching it with my kids thinking, what the fuck? What? And it was just it was just it was just such a I don't know. It was like a, a much more explosively. Um, uh, I don't know. Reckless. I think there were, you know, yeah, when you think about these 80s movies that like we watched when we were kids, I think there were a lot of sort of more like dirty jokes and sex jokes in those movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I watched, uh, I watched, I watched, uh, what's it called? Um, Cinema Paradiso recently, you know. And, I don't remember uh, that one either. I know that I did see that when I was young. Yeah, I, 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 well, you know, it's famous, famous weepy. You know, it's it's a little boy and he's, he's friends with the projectionist, and it's right. oh, it's it's, it's heart wrenching, you know. But then there's one scene where the camera is just going through the cinema, uh, and everyone, all the audience members are there, and one woman is whacking off uh, the bloke next to him, you know. <laughs> right. And it's like Jesus, isn't there anything you know that you could you could watch? But I don't know. I mean, I I don't know whether it was worse or better. It was certainly closer to the human experience than, than what's happening now. You know? Yeah, like, I think it was sort of like more normal, and also people were more normal looking. You know, that's sort of what I love about looking back at movies and films or movies and TV shows from the 80s and and from the early 90s too is that everybody's kind of like ugly. 
Yeah, yeah. There's lots of interest. Well, I would put it like lots of interesting faces, lest, uh, lest uh, you know, because I'd probably fall into that category of having an interest. Well, I mean, ugly is comparison to what you see now, which is like total yeah. perfection. Well, you look at someone like, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, oh, Christopher Walken, you know, he's a very unusual face, really, you know. And, and De Niro as well, you know, in certain lights, he does a bit of a Weasley look about him, you know. But I don't know the magic of the magic of cinema. It's it's um uh it's I do think I do like the new. I noticed that there's some very interesting faces coming up now, like that bloke who's in Saltburn, the Irish actor. Uh, I mean, I think men are still allowed to get away with being strange looking. Not not women so much. I don't. That's think. that's true. That is <laughs> that is very very true. Yeah, strange looking <laughs> men are, are like this Calvin Klein ad. With this guy in it, you know, I just thought he's an odd-looking short bloke. But I, I don't just, know what that is. Oh my god! Google Calvin Klein uh, uh, ad, and you'll see everyone's. Uh, I've noticed. I'm gonna look at it right now. Yeah, people are going nuts about it. He's in. He's in the the thing about the chef, you know. Um, oh, I know who you're talking about. I found it. Yeah, I mean, I think he's hot. Jeremy Allen White. Jeremy I've Allen always White. thought he was hot. Well, you know, shameless. I, I mean, I, this I, photo doesn't. This photo is a bit weird that I'm looking I, at, but it, but women I, yeah, think he's hot. I did sure. give in and watch the video, and uh, uh, yeah, he's he's like he's got a he's actually got a kind of a Paul Newman quality, you know. He's got that sort slightly Greco-Roman uh, profile, you know. It's really I I can see it now, you know. But up until then, I just thought he was a kind of interesting, odd-looking bloke who was a brilliant actor, you know. Um, right. But now he's apparently the most handsome man in the world. <laughs> I mean, I think I think I felt I felt like at least for five years. Yeah, if you, I think that women who watch Shameless will know what I was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The no, American was, version of Shameless. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it passed me by. But I mean, you got started in I think music writing. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who are your early favorites? Music wise. Uh, well, you know, I, I kind of had a, a natural progression from, I, I actually listed in the book, the Wombles, who were, who were like a children's uh, TV program, uh, but also had a band. Um, Interesting. Okay. I've the, never heard yeah, of them. Yeah. The Wombles of Wimbledon Green. Um, uh, and then I went on from them to, I think people, who did I like? Oh yeah, ABBA. I loved ABBA. When oh, I was in, interesting. When, I, I don't remember, love ABBA that much. Like, you know, like I love old, older music. Like I don't love very much music that was made past the eighties, but then I feel like the only person, you know, in your lists of, of people, I was like, okay, well at least he liked Springsteen. At least he was oh, yeah. snobbish about I went, Springsteen. I went, I went, I went Springsteen. on to Springsteen. Yeah, but ABBA was <laughs> when I was very young. But I've okay, never lost it. my love for ABBA. I think they just—I think they're some of the greatest songs ever written. I think they're extraordinary. But then, what do you think about the Beatles? Uh, yeah, I like the Beatles. I never—I didn't really commit to them. I think uh, they're the greatest band of all time. That's what I was wondering. Controversial opinion. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm only joking. <laughs> but apparently no, no, no. it is. Like, you wouldn't think so because the amount of people in the world who probably also think that. But when you say that, people are like, no, it's the Stones. And I'm like, no, it's not. And I like the Stones, but it's not never, like the Stones are not better than the Beatles. Sorry. I, ne I never like the Stones. I've never been a huge fan of, 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 of blues. Yeah, the occasional, like, painted black is incredible. And, and uh, you can't you can always yeah, get what you want. It's amazing. But, you know, all that kind of, you know, slightly 
bluesy stuff. It doesn't really appeal to me. But I do like, if you put that in a different way, the area question, Beatles or Stones, I would say Beatles. Because, right. like, far more songs that I love. But also, I just think that they changed the landscape in a, in a way that, like, the physical, actual landscape of the world, you know? I read a brilliant book. Um, I really recommend it. It's called The People's Music by Ian MacDonald. Okay. And it's about uh, it's about how the Beatles and um, uh, Bob Dylan uh, sort of created the 60s, you know, because I always thought they just sort of happened. But it was really the creation of Bob Dylan and the Beatles. You know, they created what we now think of as the 60s. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. In fact, you know, one of the interesting things in it is um, apparently one of the reasons why Dylan exploded the way he did was because he he did a Rolling Stone interview and he and the writer uh, just sat down and, and just tried to make it as funny and interesting as possible. And they just kind of wrote it. They just created this interview and that kind of exploded him into people's, you know, minds and everything took off after that, you know. But 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 I love it because it's such a um, it's such a deliberate attempt uh, to enter in as a as an intriguing and interesting person, you know, and it's done very intelligently, apparently, you know, it's a brilliant book, brilliant book. So what do you think about, you know, I've 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 announced several times, I think now that I think that pretty much all modern music is boring I don't like modern no, pop music. No. You disagree with me? Okay. I, I'm, I'm going to send you a compilation. I'll send you a compilation and you can okay. share it. Share it with your Patreon people or, or whatever. Okay. It, yeah, I'll I, post it on Patreon you, for people. You won't be disappointed. The thing I would immediately say is the, the song that instantly, instantly I think will 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 prove that uh, music still has something to offer is um, a song called Human by Molly Sarl. Human, when we finish the interview, put it in, look it up. It is the most beautiful song. I've been listening to very little else this last year, you know. It just it's breathtaking. So, yeah, I'm glad to hear you feel that way because I mean, I've definitely been feeling very cynical about modern, modern everything. I'm like, they're aware that I feel like there's good, there's a lot of really good series, but there's not very many good movies, and yeah, and I just hate any music that was made after the 90s practically oh my god i'm gonna change your mind on that megan and we're not even necessarily hate i'm just like this is so boring and i just can't get over the fact that like the most famous pop star in the world is taylor swift i just i'm never gonna get over it because i'm like these people but it's all bad it makes me think people are bad that people love taylor swift this much i i know what you mean but like no taste I just think I just think that I can forgive her. I don't really know her music, but I just think the opening of "Shake It Off" is the greatest opening to a pop song in decades. Oh Absolutely, incredibly catchy. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, but it's as always. The good stuff is always kind of underground and, and, and hidden away, you know. And it's the same. It's the same now as it, as it's always been. All the all the all the crap is the most visible, you know. But all the good stuff is hidden away and you have to burrow uh, to find it a bit. In fact, it's one, even with algorithms and everything delivered into your lap, it's still a bit of an exciting process for me to, to discover new bands and to, to hear, you know, exciting yeah. new people. I'll tell you a great band that, that uh, again, just to 
instant um uh i think i think you would really uh, appreciate them a pair of norfolk girls called um uh let's eat grandma Uh, and they're two sisters, and they're and they are just like it's two, like two Kate Bushes in the same band, <laughs> if you can oh, imagine wow. such a thing. Yeah, okay. and they're like they look so young. And I saw a concert where one of them is playing the drums and singing, and they don't look old enough to to. They, it's like a school band. It's like the, it's like a school band just started creating the greatest music you've ever heard in your life. They are geniuses, you know. Okay. So yeah, look I'll out for them. I mean, I did. I'm like trying to think of like modern artists or bands that I have genuinely liked to the same extent that I love, you know, '90s hip hop or like classic rock or soul or stuff. And you know, there's Amy Winehouse who I loved. Yeah, and yeah. I still love, and I'm not yeah. thinking of anybody else. One of the things that I felt I you you wrote that you know one of the sort of harder things was that you couldn't talk about the artists that you liked anymore you know once you got canceled as we sort of call it you you couldn't recommend artists that you loved because then they would be punished for being associated yeah. with you exactly yeah and you know you like like if you say oh you know it used to be one of the pleasure you know i remember once uh Frank Black of the Pixies uh, was excited that he that I was following him, and I I couldn't believe it. I spent he didn't even realize that I had interviewed him twice in the past. You know, once for Select and once for and he just knew me as 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 the author of Father Ted and the IT Crowd or whatever. And so it was just a lovely mo moment for me. You know, it was like a, a you know I've been following them since since I was 19 years old. Um, But now, of course, if if someone like that was to get in touch, I would, and I responded back. There would be an anime avatar, or you know, one of my regular trolls who would who would in, inter, intervene in the conversation and make sure the person knew uh, that he was talking to uh, the sort of as someone called me once, uh, Hitler for trans people, you know. <laughs> so it's hard for you know, like I don't expect like like someone like him. I don't expect him to do what I'm so angry at my friends for not doing, which is look deeply into my situation and figure out what's going on. I don't expect that at all of people like that. I did expect it of my friends, but but you know, I and also people are at different stages and and people have got like different um, uh, pressures. A lot of people, I think, are um, have trans identified children, especially people of my mm -hmm. age, you know. And I think that they feeding them a line of bullshit that the parents are too frightened to contradict, you know? Yeah, and that's, I think that's a good point, actually, because I think probably a lot of people who were confused, you know, were confused about why they won't say anything, why they won't speak out in defense of women or women's sex-based rights or women's spaces or girls. And I think that a lot of people are connected to or maybe they have family members or something who have kids who they call transgender and so you know they feel like if they're saying something they're attacked or they're going to be perceived as attacking well, that's a kid the, who's close to them that's the and yeah and, and and it's also the contagion part of social contagion you know i mean you don't have to be um uh convinced that men can turn into women or or, or any of these things uh yourself 
You just have to know someone who knows someone who has a trans kid, whatever that means. Um, and yeah, you, you, you can't say a word or you lose your social circles, you know? Yeah. But again, I just think, well, there are more important things in your social circles. And one of them is, is the safety and health of children, you know? You said that you could forgive the artists for that mob-pleasing kind of behavior, but that you can't forgive the comedians. And I wonder if you can explain that. Yeah, the musicians, I said. I, I can forgive the musicians. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, because I think, like, I when I used to interview musicians, no offense to them, but 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 they, they, it, it was never a fun interview. They, they don't really think in terms of words and... They don't musicians are usually not that interesting honestly like i love music but i don't when you know you hear musicians talking about like politics and like i'm they're you're just not, like, you're not as interesting as you think you are or that others think you are <laughs> yeah they're just like everyone else you know there's a range of but you know we, we we interview them expecting them to say these amazing things but often you know like god the amount of times i would just have four blokes looking at the floor going yeah just wrote it, <laughs> you know. It was just a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. So I don't really expect them to be engaged with the world in the way that other people, other groups are. The people I do expect to be engaged with the world are comedians who are supposed to be telling the truth or at least right. uh, enough of the truth so that you know why their jokes are funny, you know. But they're they're not doing that. They're, in fact, hiding the truth, pretending not to see the truth, uh, avoiding talking about the truth, um, they, they're running scared, and they have been for years. Uh, so, you know, this is comedy. It's very important. It's another, another reason why I'm so serious about this issue. You know, it's important to me. Comedy is important to me. And I think that these people are betraying comedy, you know, mm -hmm. they're, because they're pretending that Eddie Izzard going into a women's toilet is just completely normal, uh, not even worth bringing up, you know. And it's like, no, it affects every woman who exists if Eddie Izzard is, is, is entering women's spaces, you know? So I have, I have a lot of contempt for people who don't, who pretend, I think they're pretending not to understand that issue, you know? You write about, uh, I mean, you don't get into this very much, but you say that your, your marriage ended on account of the, the strain of all of this. Well, you know, losing your livelihood. They attacked, they would send her abuse. They sent the police and, and sued me. You know, it was just a constant onslaught. And, um, and added to that is the fact that every newspaper, every politician, every celebrity is saying that this is all perfectly normal, that, like, you know, it's important that we take cut these kids' breasts off or they'll commit suicide. Uh, you know what I mean? The whole of society is saying you're wrong, you know? And so and so it was – and also, you know, they, 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 one of the ways that you uh, they get you is that they, they just try and isolate you. So basically, I imagine I didn't – you know, I never found out. I'm sure more stuff happened than I was aware of. But, um, but my wife, um, she would have been isolated in the same way. And she would have had a lot, you know, she's a much more social person. So she would have a lot more social pressure put on her, you mm -hmm. know. So in the end, it was just, uh, it, it was just, uh, you know, unstoppable force versus a movable object because she was so terrified of what was happening 
that she just couldn't she couldn't change that. And I was so convinced that this was the right thing to do that I couldn't change. So, you know, it, it, that's that's what happened. You know, uh, obviously, there's more detail than that that I, I wouldn't want to go into. But it was, uh, you know, it it, it, it was it, up until this fucking fight, we you know we barely had a cross word. You know. And it was just, you know, when, when you're being sued, when the cops are knocking on your door, because of people like Adrian Harrop and, and Stephanie Hayden, you know, two absolute lunatics who used to kind of coordinate their abuse campaigns online. Um, you know, the, the pressure just eventually told, you know, and, and we had to, we had to, we had to go our separate ways, you know, but, uh, it's why it's why I feel very protective of my friend uh, the artist Birdie Rose, who's whose boyfriend, Love her. And, yeah, and her boyfriend is being targeted by these, you know, fucking scumbag former friends who 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 are just kind of relentlessly um, trying to drive them apart. You know, mm-hmm. um, I just have a lot of respect for them. You know, they're just sticking in there and they're fighting and fighting and fighting for each other. And again, it's another one of these very moving stories that I think will eventually be be told, you know? I find that often, you know, when we go through hard times, through dark times, there is something great that comes out of it, despite the fact that that doesn't mean that the bad thing that happened is the good thing that happened. But have you found yet that there has been something beautiful or good or something that you're grateful for that's come out of all this awful stuff that you've had to endure, including of course, losing your career. Yeah. I I mean, the only thing I I have really is, is pride that I, that I took the stand. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. Um, You know, despite the, the anxiety, I sleep like a baby. I know it was the right thing to do. I know that in in a you know I'd say less than five years, people are going to realise that this was a huge medical scandal, and it just happened under everyone's noses, and lives were destroyed because of it. Um, so you know, I feel kind of uh, well. At least I didn't fucking you know. At least I said something. At least I said something, and that that does that that means a lot to me, you know. But um, uh, but the other thing, which is which is kind of a work thing, is that like as I as I always say, I used to know only people in the media and no one in real life, and now I know no one in the media, and uh, my circles are kind of like you know full of really interested people from all walks of life, you know, civil servants, lawyers, uh, doctors, uh, therapists, um, Fred Sargent, you know. Uh, you know, book, book, you know, well, actually, I don't really, I don't really converse a lot with book, but like, you know, we're friendly. Uh, Scott Nugent, uh, uh, Debbie Hayden, uh, uh, you know, all these different people, yourself from, from all over the world who are kind of united in just basically not, not refusing to lie, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the great thing is, it's just this automatic introduction to a whole range of people so that, you know, if I ever do manage to write something again, uh, you know, and there's a, there's a research question about a particular area, like social work or something, I, I, like dozens of people I can call up. So, yeah, it's been, um, 
it's been very, it's, it, I, I've, I've had, at a time, I've often in my life thought that I was getting into certain ruts. Uh, and uh, this broke me out of it. This broke me out of a rut. Uh, so I feel, I feel that's, I mean, obviously very painful. It'd be nice not to be, uh, be nice to have my musical, you know, which was kind of stolen from me. Um, but, you know, in the end, at least I, at least I didn't play along. At least I didn't. At least I, I can say I, I have nothing to do with these, with these poor kids, except that I tried to stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. You know. So, are you planning a move to Mexico or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Someone, someone suggested Wimbledon, which would be a real full circle, considering the Wombles of Wimbledon were my first love. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I am. I I do want to get out of where I am, though. I think. I think it's. I think my time here is at an end. So, uh, yeah, maybe Mexico. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, it was great to talk with you and catch up with you again. Um, again, for those watching or listening, Graham's book is Tough Crowd. Um, and tell us where people can buy your book. Uh, just the usual places, Amazon. Uh, you know, wherever there are books. You know, uh, some places aren't stocking it. Some physical bookshops aren't stocking it. They're hiding it and all that sort of nonsense. Mm-hmm. So you're probably, your best bet is probably to order it online. So, okay. Well, yeah. congratulations on the book. That's an amazing accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I hope to speak to you again sooner than later, but thank you for your time for now. Anytime, Megan. Lovely to talk to you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. Thank you for tuning in. You've just heard an edited version of my interview with Graham Linehan. To access the uncut video version of this podcast, become a paid subscriber on Substack or Patreon. I have, as promised, shared Graham's list of songs that got him through 2023 for paid subscribers on Substack and Patreon. Becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Megan Murphy or a paid subscriber at www.meganmurphy allows you to access special content as well as early access to episodes, exclusive access to full videos, and the opportunity to submit questions to select future guests ahead of interviews. Plus, you can DM me to your heart's content and I will reply. Becoming a paid subscriber on Substack ensures you don't miss a single episode, allows you to engage with the ever-vibrant comment section, access my periodic newsletters, and read my Substack-only articles. You can also support this podcast directly on Spotify by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. I produce and host this podcast all by myself and rely entirely on individual donors to sustain my work. This is all me and you, the listener. If you want to keep episodes free as well as free thinking, please consider signing up on Patreon, subscribing on Substack, or donating directly to support this podcast via PayPal at paypal.me slash the same drugs. Every little bit counts and ensures I can stay independent. Thank you so much for supporting conversations outside the algorithm.